I've been caught outright and dragged straight into open daylight. Bystanders gawking, the village women absorbing every morsel of gossip. Common decency dictated that the shame of the moment was enough. But the law called for something greater. My life. Of course, a long audience followed behind. Don't think I didn't recognize a couple of them. Their words condemned me, but they didn't dare look me in the eye. I did everything to try to cover my shame, but I couldn't hide from the onlookers or this holy man whose feet they threw me to. I was finished. I stared at the ground when he said that whoever was sinless, they should go first. They should throw the first stone. Squeezed my eyes shut, grasping at the gravel, waiting for the end of my life to unfold. Nothing, though. Than footsteps, except they were walking away. I looked up. Is there no one left to accuse you? He asked me. No. I don't either. He said, Go and sin no more. He ended up on the cross. And as he hung there dying, he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it, it is finished. That's something different. That's a different thing. It means that something is accomplished, restored. He restored my hope my self-respect and my dignity. I didn't even know I had any left. <laughs> On a day when I thought that my life was finished, the only man there holy enough to demand justice handed me mercy. John chapter 8, verse 1. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. 
When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Before we jump in and I share some things that I believe are extremely important for us as the church of Jesus Christ and for each of us individually, I want to look at something uh, about this text just for a moment. How many of you in your Bible, the text is in italics? Okay, for some of you, that section is in italics. I know it is in the NIV. And I want to pay a little close attention to that. You may wonder, why is this section in my Bible in italics and everything else is not? And that is because this section, this story, in most of the earliest New Testament manuscripts is not there. But starting in the second century, all of the manuscripts begin to have this story in them. But they're not all in the same place. So in some of the manuscripts, this story follows verse 36 in John chapter 8. Some manuscripts, it follows verse 44 in John chapter 8. Some manuscripts, it's not even in John chapter 8 at all. It's at the end of John's gospel. And in some manuscripts, it's not in John at all. It's in Luke chapter 21. And so in our Bible, it's in italics because... It's not specifically a divine story that John or Luke put into their manuscript. So why is it here? Because we're all aware at the end of the book of John, John said that there were so many stories about Jesus that if we told you all of them, they'd fill all the books in the world. So why not all the stories? Why just this one added later? Well, the New Testament is a document that is godly inspired. We believe that. And throughout church history, for some reason, this story, not all of them, this one in particular, was always seen as an authentic moment that Jesus had in his life. And even though John and Luke did not include it, they wanted it included as something to study as a historical moment with Christ. And so we see things in the second century that are very, very important. For instance, the second century writers like Papias and Clement and Ignatius and Barnabas and Polycarp all include this story in their writings. Now, none of their writings made it in the New Testament. They were all considered at one point, but none of them actually made it into what we now know as the New Testament. They all had this story in their writings. And so somewhere along the line, the, the scribes of the New Testament said, this story we believe and we know to be true to the character of Jesus Christ. 
It speaks absolutely to our human condition. And even though John and Luke did not compile it in their original text, we want it put in there somewhere to study as a historical story. So we will study it this morning as with the understanding that it is an authentic story in the life of Christ, but not an authentic story included in the original book of John and Luke. So hopefully that makes sense to you as we get started. I believe this story can speak a lot to us today. We're actually uh, dealing with sexual brokenness everywhere in our culture and around the world, and it makes sense for us to see how Jesus would have responded so that you and I can understand how we should respond. I believe this story is important because Jesus' actions always teach us something. Have you noticed that? His actions and his words always teach us something. And this morning, we're going to see that his actions speak loudly, that the people that believe in Jesus Christ need to have grace for sexual brokenness. Because that's what Jesus did. We're all welcome in the kingdom, amen? Amen. We're all welcome in the kingdom, even though we have made or are making decisions that don't honor God. Now, this is an interesting story. This is a story of a woman who who didn't have a bad past. She has a bad present. (laughs) She has a bad present. Most of us are trying to deal with our past. She has a bad present. She's thrown at Jesus' feet because she's caught in the middle of her sin. Sometime right now, probably in, the, in just the past, maybe the evening before or maybe just a couple hours before, but she is in the middle of her brokenness. It's not just something she's done in the past. It's something she's doing right now. And I hope you'll understand like I do that there's something incredibly important about you and I understanding that Jesus gives us grace not only for our past, but for our right now. What I'm going through and what I'm working through and what I'm struggling through right now, Jesus has grace for. Now, this is important because as we look around our world today, we see so many people living in sexual brokenness. That might be you this morning. But these passages give us hope for ourselves in our own brokenness and for a world that we need to take healing to. Now, I want to discuss these passages in a different way today. Normally, I give you several points that we ponder together and that we talk about and that I encourage you and strengthen you in. This morning, I want to ask three questions. Because I believe this story not only is important for us to understand and live out, but it goes to the heart of our Christian life and to the culture that we create in Christianity. So I want to ask us three questions as believers today. Here's the first one. Should Christianity focus on judging people or showing people grace? Should Christianity focus on judging people or showing people grace? This is an incredibly important situation. It's the, it becomes the culture of who we are. Now, somewhere in the 40s or the 50s, 
the church began to think that it was our job to clean people. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm, as a fisherman, I can catch my own fish and I can clean my own fish. But as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm not called to clean people. I'm not even called to catch them. I'm called to love them, to show them grace, to preach the gospel, to tell the truth. Whose job is it to catch and clean people? Right, it's God's job. It's not my job. But somewhere in the 40s and 50s, the American church said, it's our job to clean people. So let's take over politically so that we can clean everybody up. Are you hearing me? That's, we, we got astray. And we started to think it's our job to clean everything and everybody up. Now the other, so there was another group of people that, were, that felt that way too. They're, they were the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They felt like it was their job to clean everything and everybody up. So it was their responsibility to catch people in the act and then publicly humiliate them so that they will want to live for God. And so far, it's working like a lead balloon. Now, look at this story with me closely because I think it's just so interesting. On one side, there's the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and they really represent legalistic religion. And on the other side is Jesus, who's representing grace. Now, we'll notice in verse 6, right, we notice the purpose of this whole thing. The whole purpose of this moment is to trap Jesus, verse 6. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So this whole moment is to trap Jesus. What they were hoping is that Jesus would pick one side or the other. If he said, stone her, then they could go to the Romans and say, this man, Jesus, is advocating capital punishment because the Romans would not allow the Jews to deal with capital punishment. They were not allowed to stone someone. They were not allowed to crucify anyone. That's why at the end of Jesus' life, they have to let Pilate do it. They can't do it on their own. So the Romans, when they took over power over a region, they, they would say the only ones who are allowed to do capital punishment is us. You don't get to do that. Even if somebody's guilty according to your own law, you don't get to do that. Only the Romans get to do that. So we find them taking Jesus to Pilate and the whole thing that we studied last week. They're hoping that Jesus might say stoner and then they can accuse him before Pilate. If he says, let her go, then they can say, see, he doesn't follow the Old Testament law. He doesn't honor God. And so then they could accuse him of being someone that doesn't honor the Lord. But verses three and four say the woman has been caught in adultery. Okay, she's been, she's been caught in adultery. In fact, verse 4 says she's been caught in the act of adultery. Now, how often does that happen? Not very often that you actually catch them in the act. And what does that imply? It implies that this whole thing is a trap. That this whole thing is just to throw her at Jesus' feet and try to trap him. In fact, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees 
didn't care about this woman at all. They didn't care about publicly ridiculing her or shaming her or embarrassing her. We also have to come up with something else. If these teachers of the law and these Pharisees are so intent in following the law, then we have to ask another question. Where's the man? Where's the man? Not so I knew it takes two to tango. And they're not even following their own law. I mean, it's so hypocritical, it's insane. The, the two verses that they would stand on to throw this woman at Jesus' feet are Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 22. Leviticus 20.10 says, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Deuteronomy 22.22, If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must, buy, must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees aren't even following the very law that you're trying to trick Jesus with. Somehow they've let this man go, probably because they needed him to do his deed to catch her in the act. And maybe this was a woman that they were doing the act with too, and they just wanted to get rid of her. Who knows? What else is interesting is the heart and the mindset of the Pharisees. It wasn't necessary to bring her. It wasn't necessary to throw her at Jesus' feet wasn't necessary to bring her out in public and publicly shame her in front of everyone. They could have very easily just said, Jesus, we caught a woman last night and told the story. But instead, their heart is to shame, to ridicule, to bring disgrace on people's life. Now, the story records that Jesus didn't answer them at first. He just bent down started writing in the dirt. Now, we don't know what he wrote in the dirt. There's lots of theories. There's lots of ideas. Maybe he was writing Exodus 23.1 that says, do not help a wicked man by being a malicious witness. That'd be a good verse to write. <laughs> because what they're actually asking is for Jesus to be a counterpart, a witness to this moment or to at least maliciously be involved in their wicked scheme that they've been witness to. See, in the Jewish culture, you had to have two witnesses to condemn anyone to death, or to condemn anyone of anything, for that matter. But you had to have two witnesses. And these men come and say, we all saw her. There's multiple witnesses of this fact. She is guilty. What do you decide? Now, in response to this whole debacle of disgrace and their demand for an answer, Jesus replies with this gracious phrase. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. See, the Pharisees are looking for a way to ridicule her and Jesus is looking for a way to rescue her. The Pharisees were looking for a way to punish her, and Jesus is looking for a way to prevent her death. The Pharisees are looking for a way to disgrace her, and Jesus found a way to show her grace. My question for us this morning is, how do you respond 
to the sexual brokenness in our world? Are you trying to ridicule those people or rescue them? In response to Jesus' statement that whoever is without sin should further throw the first stone, everyone leaves. The older first, it says, and then the younger. I don't know if that's an indication that older people know their sin better than younger people or what. We're not sure. Maybe it's that older people are smarter than younger people. We don't know. That older people have lived more life and realized that's a true statement. I should get out of here. But this is when Jesus helps all of us. This is when Jesus helps every single believer in this moment discover what Jesus is thinking about humanity. What Jesus is feeling about those who are stuck in brokenness and sin. In this moment, Jesus models for us what the church of Jesus Christ has needed to do since the moment he left. Jesus extends a perfect balance of grace and truth. Perfect. A perfect balance of grace and truth. When he says to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, Jesus showed perfect grace and truth. Grace was, neither do I condemn you. Truth is, leave your life of sin. Now look at this a little bit closer with me because this is interesting. Remember before I said everyone needs two witnesses to be condemned of death? When everybody leaves and Jesus is the only one left, let's do some math. How many people are standing before her now? One. So Jesus has, according to Jewish law, no right to condemn her, does he? Or does he? This is the point. The only one, the only one that has the authority and the right to condemn her says what? I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. And the only one that is all truth says, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus gives her exactly what she needs. She needs grace. She needs to know she is loved because that's probably the reason she's stuck. She hasn't had someone actually love her in such a passionate way, in such a truthful way, in such a gracious way. And so she's stuck bouncing from person to person to man to man to just try to find love in whatever she can because she doesn't know what it really is. And Jesus comes and stands before her and says, I don't condemn you either, gives her perfect grace. But he also says, leave your life of sin. You need to leave your life of sin because Jesus is also fully aware that the reason you're stuck in this compromising situation is because of your sin. And what if I'm not there to rescue you next time? 
So this needs to be something that you leave behind. Now, how does that apply to us today? Well, Christianity also needs to be a perfect balance of grace and truth. The moment that we, as his people, the representation of Jesus Christ on the earth, the moment as a church that we start to get out of balance with grace and truth, we will find ourselves not living like Christ does. Let me give you an example. If we choose, as a church, to swing the pendulum to the opposite end of the spectrum, grace, and we say, you know what? We, we believe that... Um, even though you're in sexual sin and struggling with gender identity and whatever that might be, that um, God is okay with that and you don't have to stop living that way. Okay, if we swung the pendulum that way, we might look very gracious, but we wouldn't be telling people what they need to be saved. So they would think they're saved when they're not. That's a bad place for people to be. If we swing the pendulum all the way to the other side, to the truth side, and we have no grace in our message, all truth, then we just become modern day Pharisees. And we're ranting and raving and mad and angry and hating everything and everyone. And nobody wants to hear about that, Jesus. That's why it's so important for you and I to be a perfect balance in Christianity of grace and truth. We need to be the people that are saying, absolutely, this is sin. This is what it is. But guess what? We have the healing for that. You can be whole. You can be set free when you believe in Jesus Christ. But we need that balance. Here's my second question. What do you think people affected by sexual brokenness want from you? What do you think the people in your life that are struggling with sexual brokenness want from you? Do they want condemnation or do they want compassion? It's a good question. In the Bible, I always see Jesus giving compassion to the hurting. Always. Two weeks ago, we studied the story of Zacchaeus, right? A tax collector that's hurting. Last week, we studied a story about a lost son who's so lost his identity that he doesn't even want to be in the family anymore and doesn't even know that he's a son anymore. He's so lost. And Jesus talks about giving him compassion and love. And this week, we talk about a woman who's in sexual brokenness and sin, and she's thrown at his feet. And instead of condemning her, he shows her compassion. Now, this is not to completely avoid the fact that we recognize we're living in a time when sexual lifestyles are very different from Jesus' day. We've embraced a whole host of new things that just weren't out in the public in Jesus' day. They might have been happening behind closed doors because there was all kinds of sexual sin happening and inappropriate things happening in Rome and Greece and in the Gentile world. Don't for a moment think that there wasn't any sexual sin happening in the Roman Empire. Sexual sin has been happening inappropriately since the day that we left the garden. That's just been happening all along because it happens to be a hot button that Satan can push on humanity and we just follow along. 
What's interesting is the sexual lifestyles that we are seeing and that we are dealing with as a church and that we are dealing with as a culture may be different than Jesus' day, but hear me because this is really important. But the sexual brokenness is exactly the same. The brokenness that people will feel as a result of living in that lifestyle is exactly the same. And they need the exact same love and forgiveness and acceptance and grace that Jesus gave if they're going to come into a a loving and believing relationship in Jesus Christ. The challenge that we're having today is not that the sexual lifestyles were not a part of Jesus' day, but that everywhere we look, and I think as we move into our future, this will only get worse. We will see sexual brokenness everywhere. And the church needs to have an answer for that. We need to have an answer for that. And what we decide as a culture, as a church, and what we decide as our answer for how we're going to treat people and how we're going to think about people will change the way people see us. It means the church will have to choose what we decide to do. Will that hurt and pain be solved through us pointing a finger at people or extending a hand? Bashing them on social media or teaching the real purpose of sex through God's word in a gracious way? This will be incredibly important as we move forward. One of the things that I've noticed over and over again in my Bible is that Jesus is very intentional about how he talked and how he treated someone when they were hurting, when they felt disgraced, when they were despised, when they were desperate for love, acceptance, and forgiveness. In that moment, have you noticed as you read the Gospels and as you read your 55 days with Jesus, I want you to notice over and over again that when people are hurting and in that very delicate moment where they are like about to go off the deep end or maybe choose life with Christ, Jesus is very gentle in that moment. He's not angry, he's not hateful, Is he realistic that what they're going through is causing them deep pain and that they need to stop that? Absolutely. But in the moment, he is gracious and kind and he welcomes them. He always makes the first step towards them. Jesus made the first step towards Zacchaeus. The father in the story of the lost son starts running towards his father, his son. Jesus stands there with this woman in her shame. In these moments where people could feel judged and ridiculed by Jesus, he chooses to show them grace. And I believe we need to do the same. He made people feel special in the middle of their hurt. He rescued them. He was excited about being in their presence. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You and I are called to the ministry of reconciliation. 
And that means that we are called to be like Jesus. We're called to do the same thing that he did. God gave the church this ministry. So our role is to give grace for sexual brokenness like Jesus did. Our purpose is to tell everyone you are welcome. God's job is to what? Clean them up. That's God's job. Now, how many of you have wanted the cleaning to go faster than it was going? I, I do. I'm with you. I totally get that. Like, I totally want them to be out of their sin and out of their brokenness. When I see someone uh, dressed a certain way or living a certain lifestyle, my heart aches because I know that that person is struggling and in pain. And they're doing all of that just to try to get some attention and get some love somehow. And we need to be those people that choose to give them that love, give them that grace. When people are stuck in sexual brokenness, they want grace. My last question is this one. Does giving grace mean we condone disobedience to God? Does giving grace condone or mean we condone disobedience to God? And the answer, the short answer is no. That's the short answer. But let me give you the long answer. The long answer is this. Love is not license. Love is not license. You can love and not condone something at the same time. Jesus did not give the woman a license to continue to live the life she was living. He didn't say, whew, that was a close one. See ya. <laughs> he says, what? You need to stop sinning. I love you. Do you notice that? I just rescued you. Do you know I love you? Yes. Then you, you got to clean it up because you're in trouble if you don't clean up your life. Love is not a license. It's actually when you help somebody with the truth, it's actually more love than just letting them go without giving them the truth. If we just tell people, we love you, Jesus loves you all the time, and we don't tell them what truly gives them healing, then that's on us. We need to do both. We need to tell them they're loved and give them the way that they can be healed at the same time. So here's what I love about Jesus. He calls her up and out of her lifestyle. Did you notice that? He calls her up, I don't condemn you, and he calls her out of her lifestyle that is causing her to be stuck all the time. And what else is interesting, I, I wanna show you something that I thought was interesting as well. Verse 11, he says, go now and leave your life of sin. He didn't say go now and leave your life of adultery. He addressed everything in her life. Like, I'm sure that wasn't the only sin she was in, right? When you ask for forgiveness for something you commit, is that the only sin you're doing? No. We're all sinning a lot. I read something the other day that said, most people lie 18 times a day. Whoa, that's a lot. 18 times a day. One of the shows that I, I love watching right now is called Northwoods Law. It's about these uh, state patrol officers that are um, fishing game guys and gals. I love it. But what's interesting to me, on every stop, 
they have to spend at least 15 minutes getting through all the lies. All the reasons that person didn't buy a fishing license. I'm not really fishing. What's the pole for? Oh, that's not mine. Whose is it? You're the only one here. I don't, it must have been left here. I'm like, well, it's going to take some 15 minutes to get to, okay, yeah, that's my pole. Yes, I don't have a fishing license. I'm guilty. We just are natural born sinners, aren't we? We're just good at it. And Jesus says to this woman, go now and leave your life of sin, not just your adultery. There's everything in your life needs to be submitted and surrendered to me. Everything in your life. And when you surrender everything to me, you will find everything you'll need. You'll, you'll, you'll get love and acceptance and forgiveness and peace and grace and wholeness and health. All of it will be yours when you surrender your sin to me. See, Jesus is encouraging her to walk away from the cause of her brokenness. And the cause of our brokenness and her brokenness is our disobedience to God. So love's not license. And also, acceptance is not agreement. Just because we accept someone doesn't mean we agree with them. Now, we're going to have to change our brain on this one because our culture does not understand this at all. We are a complete cancel culture. If, we, if you don't agree with me, you are the worst person on the planet. That's where we came since November, right? maybe a little bit before November, but we've changed really fast in a year and we are now a culture that says, I don't accept you at all if we disagree, which is really a horrible place for any culture to be. But we live in this culture where we, we don't say I can agree to disagree or I, I can accept you and not agree with you. But I wanna tell us as the church, we need to start leading this. As believers, we need to start leading in the idea that I can accept you but not agree with you. I can believe that you are created in the image of God and not believe all of your values and all of in this room, do you think we all have the same value, the same values, the same understandings? Did we all vote for the same person? Do we all drive the same way? Do we all root for the same sports teams? Do, none of that's true. But we all agree on the most important thing, don't we? We all agree on Jesus. And so even in this room where, we're, where we think we're all in agreement, we're really not, but we do all accept one another because of Christ. And we recognize that all the other stuff it's just all wood, hay, and stubble anyway. Everything on this planet is burning up. You realize that, right? So when you start arguing about anything on this planet, it's fruitless. That's why Paul told Timothy in his letter, don't argue about all these silly wives' tales and old myths. and Don't argue about any of that stuff. It's all nonsense. Just focus on Christ. Love people. Accept people. And then lastly, Forgiveness is refusing to play God. Forgiveness is refusing to play God. See, we play God when we say that you, you, you aren't worthy. Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. 
See, we, we, need, we have to understand something really important theologically so that we can believe how to live. And that is that God is the one who will judge all mankind. God is the one who will bring perfect justice according to his word and his holiness, not us. But every time that we choose in our mind or in our heart or in our actions to not welcome someone into the kingdom based on who they are, we're judging them. And we're playing God. We're saying, no, it's, it's my right to judge you. And it's not. As believers, it's not our right to judge people. It's not our role. Only Jesus had the authority to condemn the woman, and he didn't. He showed grace. See, our role in the earth today is to show grace, to teach the truth, and to forgive the world for the brokenness it is causing. That's our role. Everything else is God's role. We need to live in our role. We need to let God live in his role. Here's the other thing that I've noticed. When I choose to play God, I'm the one that ends up broken. (laughs) I'm the one that ends up broken. I'm the one that ends up frustrated and angry at everything I see in our world. I'm the one that just ends up mad about everything. I can't watch the news without screaming at the TV, right? That's what happens. And there are days that I still kind of feel like that, and I have to go, oh, gosh, stop playing God, right? When I look at things that are legislative in our state and our country, I have to, whoo, Lord, help me show grace. I'm praying that prayer a lot right now. Are you? I'll admit it. I'm praying that prayer a lot right now. But I'm praying that prayer a lot because I want to show grace instead of being a modern-day Pharisee. Because it would be really easy today to be a modern-day Pharisee, right? It would be really easy to look around and go, gosh, there's so many things to be angry and hate. It would be easy to do that. But that's not who God calls us to be. And even if other churches choose to go that route, we have to choose to be different. Amen? Amen. We have to choose. I'm just, remember, the, remember our intentional series? This would be another message in the intentional series. We have to be intentional about being like Jesus. And this is the Jesus we see over and over again in the New Testament, over and over and over again. He's gracious and kind and loving and accepting and forgiving. He is not mean, hateful, and resentful. That is not the Jesus and the Savior that we know. This is who we're called to be. We're called to be people that give grace to brokenness. See, the church, I believe, and I hope you do too, the church is meant to be a healing force in the world, not a hurting force. Do you hear me? We're meant to be a healing force in the world, not a hurting force. And the way, boy, this is so important. This is the point of this message, right? Hear me. The way we treat people in sexual brokenness today, because there's so much of it around us, the way we treat them in response to this specific situation will tell them what we think about them. 
Uh, I recognize there's all kinds of other sins happening. There's stealing going on and murdering going on. Or stuff. But, but today is today. Today is we see sexual brokenness everywhere. And the way we treat people that are in sexual brokenness will help the world see what we think about them, how God feels about them, whether or not they're worthy to be loved, whether they're valuable or not. Aren't you glad that your value is not based on your life? Oh man, I'm glad my value is not based on my life. My value is based on Jesus' life, on Jesus' righteousness, on Jesus' holiness, not mine. I'd be done already. I'd be finished. You would too. So when we look at people in the world and we see their mistakes, because some of us wear them on the outside, right? You remember that time of your life when you wore your mistakes on the outside? When we see people that are wearing their brokenness on the outside, let's not be hateful and judgmental. Let's be loving and accepting and forgiving. We want to communicate that to every person because we believe that every person is created in the image of God. Even if they are broken, we have the answer to their healing. It's Jesus. Now in closing, maybe this morning, you're the one that feels sexually broken. Maybe that's you. And in your sexual brokenness, I want you to know something this morning, and that is that there is grace for you. That Jesus can give you a fresh start. Jesus gives all of us a fresh start. And I have a feeling, we're not 100% sure, but I have a feeling (laughs) this woman was forever changed. Just a hunch. I have a feeling she was forever changed. And I know that if you choose Jesus today too, you'll be forever changed. But if you choose to leave your sin here and to not pick it up and not live in it anymore, you as well can be forever changed today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are the one doing work today. I I know that there are some hearing my voice today that are living in sexual brokenness. It might be from your past. It might be something you're doing in the present. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you receive healing, that you begin to walk in wholeness, and that you understand the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, and that you can begin to walk in a freedom that you've never walked in before as you submit your life to Jesus. Because this is such a sensitive issue and a sensitive subject, I'm not going to ask us to do something physical in the room like I normally do. But if, if that's where you're at and you're in a place of sexual brokenness, 
I wanna, I wanna ask you to reach out to Jesus in the next couple days. And here's what I'd like you to do. I just want you to talk to him. First of all, I want you to confess your sin to him. And I just want, just say it like it is. Just like reality is. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm hurting. Would you please forgive me of my pain, of my sin, of my brokenness, sexual and everything else? Would you just take it away from me? Would you free me of it? I believe that you're the only one who can rescue me from this. If you pray that prayer, he will rescue you. He will stand with you. He will show you grace in your brokenness, in your hurt, in your pain. And you can receive healing and wholeness in Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. We thank you that this is even a reality for us. What an amazing miracle that this is even a reality for us. That we can walk in wholeness. That we can be people that learn to love, accept, and forgive, to show grace, to be kind and compassionate. These are things that are lost in our world right now, but in Christ we can live this way. What, what a miracle. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us strength to live this way as a culture. As a church culture, would you help us to be people that show grace to people that are struggling and hurting, that are broken and sinful, Lord, let us be the people that take the first move, that first awkward step, that first awkward move towards someone. Let it be from us a move of love towards someone. We give you thanks and praise, Jesus, that that's what you did for us. You made the first move. You left heaven and came here and died on the cross for us. And I pray that you would help us to do the same thing, to start making those first moves of grace and love and kindness towards others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Well, I want to encourage you, um, because of this message, here's something I've learned. Every time you take a step in your faith to grow, and to do something different for Jesus than you were doing before, you almost always will encounter the enemy attacking you, or you will encounter someone that you are supposed to minister to within the next couple days. I want to encourage you to do both. Work this through with Jesus. Work this through with God's word. And be open spiritually and physically to see people around you that are broken. I'm, I'm going to bet that all of us who heard this message are going to see someone like that this week that the Holy Spirit asks us to show grace to. And would you be open to say, yes, Holy Spirit, I'll take the step. I'll be the one to show grace. Amen? Amen. All right. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week. <laughs>